0: You here. Flattery leads to compromise. The end is always near.
1: of cards some of you would look at your life and you would say i have a great hand i want to keep them all and some of you would look at the hand that you've been given these these three cards in my life they're just rough or bitter and if i could just exchange those for some new cards then i would be okay You see, life is cards. You can't trade in the cards that you've been given in life. I mean, these are your cards whether you like the way they feel or not. It's funny, in life, how we kind of look at the uglier cards that we don't necessarily want anybody else to see. We try to hide them behind the more noble, significant, prettier cards nature I guess but deep down we know the cards that we've been dealt there's no escaping it it's who we are these are our cards no matter how we look at it they're part of our makeup we can't escape it you're all in but what if what if we're to stop and just take the time to look at the cards that we've been given in life where did they come from was it life coincidence or was it god Some of you would say, why would an all-caring, all-loving God really give me this card? I mean, if He really loved me, would He really give me this card? It's the cards of pain. It's the cards that we don't like to talk about. Cards of depression, rejection, that word that just seems to linger in our mind even after all these years. Abuse, divorce, even death. These are real cards. But there's also the good cards in our life. Think back, if you can, to uh, the time you made your dad laugh when you were a little kid, when you tied your shoe, your first A on a report card, your first kiss, first job, the first time you stood up for yourself. These are the cards that you're proud of. These are the cards that you play over and over again because these are the pretty cards. Sad fact, and it's true, but we really care what other people think. These are our favorite cards that we want to show people that we have it all together. But what does God think? What if God were to choose the cards? What would those look like? More than likely they just wouldn't be the happy cards, but they would be an array of both good and bad cards. You see, we as humans, we do not like the hard cards in life. We try to avoid these like the plague. But don't discount the fact that God may have a purpose for even these cards. God wants to use the disappointing cards as the cards that fill us up with hope and joy. To God, they aren't a bunch of both good and bad cards. They're just cards. Cards that would bring him glory. Cards that reveal that it's his story, not our story. And cards that can maybe even give us a glimpse of what heaven is like. the matter is are we just going to pretend that we're dealing with our cards? Are we going to hide behind cards that are more glamorous? Even hide behind cards that aren't even ours, other people's, because it's comfortable, it's safe. But if we do that, are we missing out on all that God wants us to be? Are we missing out on the rich lessons that we can learn for God's kingdom? From his view, you might just be given the best hand that you could have ever imagined. As for me I'm going to play the cards that I've been dealt
2: What does your hand look like, your cards? You know, our cards are the events of our lives and they do tell a story. And uh, our stories are meant to be shared in community. And when our stories are shared in community, they, they allow a lot of things to happen. You know, one of those is just simply to connect with one another and find out, hey, I've been through the same thing you've been through. And there's an understanding there. Sometimes sharing our stories helps set us free from the lies of the enemy or the shame that we may feel. Uh, sometimes sharing your story just allows you to encourage another person to go, you can get through this, you know, you're going to gonna make it, you're going to be okay. And, um, you know, today we're going to have a chance to hear a story of someone in our body here. And, um, you know, what I find that God does through the events of our stories, and when I'm in community, sometimes I need that help of someone else speaking the truth of, you know, what's the real story behind the story? What's the great big grand plan behind what's going on? And if you were here back in November, Peter had done a sermon called uh, The Gospel According to You and Your Neighbor. And you may remember that one, but it was a really good one. If you have not heard it, I really encourage you to go back online and hear it. But I'm going to read for you uh, just a few paragraphs from uh, that sermon that Peter gave. Didn't bring my glasses, but here we go. <laughs> you are a story that God's telling with his word, Jesus. Jesus. You are, you are love's story. You are a love story. And yet, we don't always love, we sin. God can't sin by definition, for sin is what God will not do, and yet we sin. We do what God will not do. In other words, we write ourselves out of his story by refusing to trust his word. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all write ourselves out of his story and into darkness, death, death. chaos we write ourselves out of his his story out of history out of his story that's called sin but God writes us back in that's grace salvation is surrendering to his story by trusting his word such that his story becomes your story a love story the gospel according to you God's ability to write a story of grace is stronger than your ability to write a story of destruction. And God is love, so he only writes love stories, and Jesus is the end. So even if the love story contains hatred, death, and despair, the end is good. There is a gospel according to you, and you can begin to live it, all of it, past, present, and future, the moment you believe. There is a gospel according to you, just like there is a gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John so Beth come on up here I'm going to introduce to you uh, this is Beth Hushison, and her husband Brian is there and her parents are there as we're here today too and uh, Beth um, is a teacher at Valor High School and uh, I also got to know Beth and Brian they were our softball coaches this past summer so great softball players and uh, she's gonna share her her story with us can I pray for you Yeah. yeah father speak through beth this morning through her story and help it to intersect with our story and mostly with your story that she would bring meaning and speak to each one of us here today so anoint her words her heart in this room right now in jesus name amen
3: thank you can everybody hear me okay um as Frances said, I work at Valor Christian High School. I'm actually a history teacher. So uh, because it's nerve-wracking having you all stare at me, if you could take out a pen and a piece of paper, um, there'll be a test at the end, and then that'll help me feel a little bit better. Oh, I'm just kidding, please don't do that. Um, it's, it's really honoring and a little bit intimidating to have um, your pastor and associate pastor and dear friends come up to you and say, hey, you know, would you be willing to share your story? Because I think that there's something significant in it. Um, You know we're called to be humble all the time and so it's really hard to you know yeah that has value and I'd love to do that so um, I'm gonna do my very best to share truth with you guys Um, I also encourage you that um, if if someone's story ever brings up questions in your life or you know you feel like there's uh, additional information you need to get whatever please just ask questions and don't feel like stories stop here so I'm actually going to shift gears a little bit, and um, we're going to actually start with a story about um, a young man. His name is Mike. If you could go to the first picture, please. Um, You know, I I try to give the summary of the lesson for my students, so um, today I'm going to share about different chapters of life. And I think probably for most of us, it's pretty common that... Different chapters have different themes, so you know there's our search of God, maybe um, the valley of the shadow of death, if you will, despair, joy, hope, um, encouragement, and so um, I'll just kind of walk you through each of those chapters. Uh, Mike was actually born in Montana in May of 1983, and he and his family moved around quite a lot, so I would say if he was to describe his childhood to you guys, he would say that it was kind of lonely. Um, He had a hard time making friends because he knew that very quickly they would pack up the boxes again and take off. Um, He did, however, by the time they reached middle school, kind of permanently plant themselves in the Denver area. Uh, In that picture, you see him next to his mom, Margie, his dad, John, and then his older sister, Kate, is standing next to him. Next picture. Um, Mike was the type of guy who absolutely adored the women in his life. Um, You see his other sister, Meg, in that picture, and then his precious Grammy Peg, as he called her. Um, grammy peg if you were to ever put people on a timeline of you know if you love god you're on this side she loves jesus more than anything um probably more than anyone could really even describe so pretty impressive woman next slide um that's mike again with his oldest sister kate next one his middle sister meg the one who tortures him as he would describe uh next slide And then I love this picture because it's probably the best representation of his relationship with his mom. You know, mothers, you love it when your teenagers walk up and fluff your hair after you just worked on it for a couple hours. Um, That was constantly what he did, so kind of fun there. Next picture, please. Um, Mike went to Smoky Hill High School. And while he was in high school, was the type of kid who was so extremely intelligent and drove his teachers nuts because he would never do his homework and would talk during lecture, which none of you, please do that. Uh, may have to call you out. But um, was the type of kid that all the way through high school kind of had a hard time making connections. Didn't really join into sports, didn't you know join the chess club. He found that he really enjoyed being involved in his shop class and so he kind of seized onto that. And toward the end of high school, he had a pretty tough conversation with his dad, and he said, you know, Dad, I understand that you and Grandpa saved quite a bit of money for me to go to college, and, you know, I've been accepted at a couple places, but I know right now, being honest with myself and with you, that if I were to go, it would be a waste of time and money. My time, your money. Um, I think at this point it's probably better that I try something else for a little while. And so um, after leaving Smoky Hill, he joined the United States Army, Um, was able to test high enough on his aptitude test that he qualified to be trained for the 82nd Airborne. Uh, Next picture. And the fun thing for young men is that the Airborne includes parachuting. So you get to go jump out of an airplane for fun, which I would rather stay in one, but, you know, he loved to jump out. And I love to tell the story of that moment right after you leave the plane and the wind is rushing past you and you're going, dear God, I hope they pack this thing right because when I pull that ripcord, if it doesn't come out, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, But he said that all the time, you know, you jump out and feel the rush of the air, and then as soon as you pull your ripcord and the parachute opens, it's absolutely silent, and you can just float for a while and think about things, and um, it's really an incredible feeling. So we love sharing that story. Next picture, please. Um, While he was in the Army, he also served two different tours overseas. Um, The first tour, he was in Iraq, and he worked at one of the supply depots um, sending shipments of ammo and supplies into Iraq itself and then the second time for nine months he was actually at camp champion um, which is the center heart of Baghdad um, one of the last places that we actually just left so next picture um, he did return happily safely um, enjoyed that time learned to speak a little bit of Arabic which is probably not something that most of us can say that we can do next slide um, and at the end of four years he was given regular accommodations um, uh, one of the medals that's up there and that frame is an indication that um, that person served overseas. Another little known fact, because I'm a nerdy history teacher, if you look at the flag that's in the center bottom of that, if the country is at war when that person is um, put into that military branch, then the um, stars are always gonna be on the right side, so it looks like the flag is flying into battle. Um, There's been very few that have been released that don't have the stars on the right-hand side, because we seem to be in a tussle all the time, so kind of interesting. Uh, next slide, please. Um, like most young men, Mike loved something that went fast, and the faster the better, um, which, of course, you know, panics mom and sends everyone into a tizzy around you. But um, love to ride motorcycles. Next picture. Um, word of encouragement for anyone whose children get bored with birthday cakes if you put the candles together, it makes a huge flame. So um, that was traditionally what the birthday cake looked like. We usually had to take the uh, you know, battery out of the smoke detector closest to the cake. So you may want to take that step initially. Next slide. Um, Young men often find crazy things that they enjoy. Um, I I think it was like an 86 Saturn or something that you paint bright yellow. That's kind of fun. Um, He always used to wear bright red Converse, which when you have large feet... Makes your feet look even bigger. I don't, I don't understand, but maybe drawing attention. And then um, when Mike got out of the military, he had um, saved up as much money as he possibly could, and he was finally able to buy his dream vehicle, which is the next picture, which... If anyone's in the car world, a 94 Toyota Supra is a pretty sweet ride. So he purchased that car, um, spent the next couple years doing his all-time favorite thing, Hobby Wise, next picture, and that is um, road racing that same car. And um, There's lots of tracks all over the United States that are not the same you know, big, huge loop of NASCAR. They actually look more like a windy, over-the-hill um, road, but he loved to race his car, had a really great time with that. Um, he served out the remainder of his time in the Army and then was honorably discharged to go and find what else life may lead to. Could you go to the next page, please? So, uh, May of 2002, uh, Mike was flying home from the East Coast where he was stationed, and he ended up at gate B-29 of the Atlanta airport. Um, If you guys have ever been in Hartsfield, it actually doesn't look like this anymore. They have remodeled it a little bit, but he was probably sitting somewhere around where that guy in kind of the light colored shirt is sitting. And lo and behold, someone else was flying back to Colorado from visiting her friend. This Picture, if you haven't made the connection yet, that person was me. Um, You don't often find two Coloradans sitting at the airport in Atlanta because they have really big, big bugs and lots of humidity. Um, But we just fell into conversation together, discovered that we had lots in common, and he asked if when he got out to Colorado, it would be okay that he gave me a call and we went and had dinner together. Um, As you can imagine, yes, we did have dinner, since I know lots of creepy details about his life. Uh, Next picture, if you could. Okay, uh, May of 2004, one year, 364 days from the day that we met, we got married. Um, I knew going into it that I would at that point be signing on to at least one year being a military wife. Um, I had already dealt with the, the first deployment as being um, a fiancé. It was kind of interesting. You know, I teach history and I can understand it from the angle of, you know this is what war might look like but when you're actively involved in it it's a little bit of a different story so a little bit intense um we finished out that first year of marriage we lived in north carolina um for those of us that are westerners the civil war is being fought every day still in the south um try teaching eighth graders the civil war it didn't go well um, but <laughs> we were finally able to leave north carolina and move back to you know slightly more I'm not gonna say normal and throw Southerners under the bus, but kind of more back to a Western mentality, if you will. So um, we you know, looked around, thought about coming back to Colorado. We both loved to travel. So we decided that instead we would live somewhere else for a little bit and then eventually make Colorado home. Um, that other place ended up being Reno, Nevada. Now how you go from bugs and humidity to middle of the desert and 110 degrees, I don't know. But um, we did move to Reno and while we were living in Reno, um, a lot of different things kind of started to change in life. Could you go to the next slide, please? Um, the whole time that we were dating, we obviously had lots of conversations about faith. Um, I was raised in a family where we prayed and you know, read Bible stories. We didn't necessarily go to church because the sanctuary wasn't there at that time. And uh, growing up in Bailey, Colorado, there were two church options for high schoolers. Uh, church youth group number one There was extracurricular activities that I'm not allowed to talk about. Uh, Church group number two, you were usually drinking and smoking and then on Saturday night and repenting for that, you know, Sunday morning. And I decided I didn't want either of those to be a part of my life. So um, basically my faith was fostered at home. And so um, as I grew up and I started to talk to friends about my faith, um, I went to a liberal arts school, so I was one of 10 Christians on campus, I think. Um, I discovered that... The more I thought about it, the more I was able to understand that God had a huge plan and a huge purpose for my life. Uh, Mike was born and raised um, Presbyterian. He attended church regularly with his family, but he was the type of extremely intelligent person who could not take that initial leap of faith. Um, He could read verses and understand that someone at some point, probably namely Luke in this situation, um, had experienced that, but he wanted to see God for himself. He wanted to sit face to face and ask the top ten questions and shake his finger for a moment and then commit to a life-serving Christ. Um, So it was really hard for him to understand that something that is kind of on the peripheral is something that you can um, ask to lead your life. And so um, we would often talk about scripture similar to this out of Luke, and I love this analogy. It says... Or suppose a woman has ten coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And I love that analogy to think that, you know, we pennies away all the time, I'm sure. Um, but to God, each one of us is extremely significant and just as important as the person sitting next to us. Um, when we moved to Reno, I didn't have my teaching license yet in that state. And so um, I think I sent out like 52 resumes and got one answer back. Well, that's God controlling your life. So um, I was working at a Christian school. Um, a couple of my friends that I was teaching with invited me to come to this new church body and um, they said you know it's kind of tiny so be warned you'll probably really like the pastor though he's young easy to connect with and i thought that's awesome because then maybe mike will be able to ask some of his questions and get answers other than the ones that i've been repeating to him for a while So we went to church, Uh, Dawson's church at that time had about 15 to 20 people in it. Uh, We all ate Sunday night to dinner together um, in a conference room of a big um, office building in Reno. And as we continued to um, attend this church and grow in fellowship with each other, um, it was really, really interesting to watch how Mike kind of uh, interacted with his own faith. Uh, May 10th, the day after my birthday of 2007, Mike accepted Christ as his Savior. And it was really incredible. We had gone to a marriage conference, and it was one of those where, you know, go home and check in with your pastor. So we went home and checked in with our pastor, and it was great because Dawson's sitting across the table from us, and he looks Mike in the eye, and he said, the reason that you're here is nothing to do with your marriage, right? Mike's like, well, oh. do you guys ever feel like Peter stares at you in the sermon? So He practices that. So... Um, What happens is Mike's sitting across the table from this guy that he knows and loves and that he knows has been called to um, minister to him and to lead him, and he looks Dawson in the eye and he's like, well, apparently not. Do you have the answer? Um, Dawson, at that point, just encouraged him. He said, look, you've spent 24 years of your life to that point arguing with God, and you just need to give in and say yes. So he prayed the um, salvation prayer, and as the lovely scripture says well, there was lots of phone calls and lots of rejoicing i think dawson sat there for about five minutes not knowing what to say because it had been a long hard battle and all of a sudden you win and it's like oh what do i do now so pretty incredible uh next slide please um i love the song that was played for us um while we were taking <clears> this <throat> word i'm looking for money offering thank you <laughs> We're taking your money people. (laughs) Write the check to Peter directly. Um, I'll take a cut later. Uh, So as the song said, um, often our lives can contain a slow fade and I don't know if you guys have ever kind of fallen away from your faith. I know that for a period of time in college I had that happen and it was that I got really busy playing basketball or really busy with class and I didn't have time to read my Bible or, you know, I. Um, didn't have time to go and, and practice with the bell choir so I didn't know the song for that week or whatever it may have been and so we start to take tiny steps away from the things that are super important in our lives and I think that sometimes it's very easy to all of a sudden look up and go holy smokes I'm not only on the wrong highway but I'm in the wrong state and I don't know how this happened Um, for Mike his faith was very hard for him to understand Um, although he had heard the stories of Christ's work on the cross it was hard for him to understand that um, our salvation is not based on our works it isn't the you know 82 things that when we get to the pearly gates God sits there and makes a checklist of what we did right and what we didn't do Um, it is simply that upon having a, a faith in Christ that we are saved And so um, we would often talk about this verse out of Ephesians and it says, for grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not as a result of works so that one may boast. Um, I think that throughout his life, Mike had made enough poor choices, he felt that there was nothing that could redeem him. And so he continued to ask really tough questions. Um, His dad had left him in middle school, um, had worked out of state and had basically left the family for a period of time, especially when a young man is um, forming who he is. That was very tough on him. Um, he also came from a slightly depressive personality. He was extremely intelligent, and so I think you know, falling slightly short of the mark was something that bothered him more than the average person. Um, He also not only in being hard on himself had a hard time connecting with people and was unwilling to let people in And so I think as life continued Mike found that um, he was trying to earn God's Acceptance and God's trust in his own salvation and he couldn't quite get there which can become a heavy burden Um, Lost my place Uh, Next slide if you could thanks Um, in It was September 1st of 2007. Um, Mike had had an extremely tough day. And I remember him calling me a couple times at work and I'm a teacher, I can't really leave unattended seventh graders who knows what might happen. And so it was tough for us to make a connection. I knew that he had had a tough day. So when he got home from work that night, um, I kept trying to connect with him, you know, what's going on, what's frustrating you, what's happening. And there wasn't a whole lot that could be relayed back to me. I don't know that he was intentionally keeping me out, but just couldn't talk about anything. Um, he was headed out on a trip so hops in the shower um, comes out of the bathroom and I'm asking him a couple other questions And I could tell that there was something going on inside that wasn't necessarily something that I could make heads or tails of um, he went into the bedroom to put on his clothes and get ready for the trip and um, We had a gun in the house because he was trained ex-military. I grew up on a ranch um, We also lived in a super shady neighborhood in Reno and so for a little bit of protection We had a gun in the house And Mike, at that moment, decided that life was no longer something that he could continue to fight for. Um, And he chose to leave this world. Um, I was in the house, so um, obviously uh, it was interesting. Recalling back to the moment, I know what gunpowder smells like. Um, I heard a pop. I wasn't used to a small revolver noise. We have big rifles at our house. And so um, as I'm putting two two, two and two together and starting to comprehend what's going on, um, I rushed into the bedroom, and I can tell you guys that there may be cards in your life that you would love to turn in. Um, you know, you're, you're holding your five-card draw, and there's two that you would love to get rid of. Um, that one might be one that I would like to, in that moment, choose to get rid of, but I can tell you today that I wouldn't have chosen to be anywhere else. Um, I know that in the midst of, I know that I was screaming. I can't remember it because my neighbors told me. Um, I know that after that, there was a lot of things that I tried to process, but you can't really. Um, I do know that I called 911, but someone else had to talk to them. But I also know that um, in athletic training, I was given enough enough first aid training to know what to do to try to help someone. And so um, I gave enough first aid assistance to Mike's body at that point that they could put him on life support and rush him to the hospital. From there, life gets a little bit fuzzy for a period of time, as you guys can imagine. Um, If anyone's had trauma in their lives, there's a lot of stuff that takes a while for you to kind of wrap your mind around and try to explain to yourself. Um, I had to spend a period of time being questioned because I was the only other person in the house. They um, thought that I was the prime suspect, so I had to deal with that for a while. Um, I was also living by myself in Reno. Um, His dad, who was living in the city, was gone on a trip. Um, my family was pretty far away, and so um, in that moment, there was two people that I had them call, one of the girls that I worked with and also my pastor, and then you just have to sit and wait. Um, let me lighten the mood a little bit, okay? Um, you know, you, you look at stuff and you don't understand why you're called to have to deal with things. Um, there, there was a main point and purpose that I was there. And I know now that God has erased a lot of the things for me so that I don't have to continue living with that trauma. A um, couple things that were really incredible. Um, Mike was obviously unable to survive um, the damage that he had done to himself. Um, God can... You know, create in us an incredible creation in our bodies. And fortunately, Mike's body, because I was able to give first aid, became something that blessed more people than we can probably count to this point. Um, His body was given to the California Organ Donation Society and um, your five primary organs can be separated or put together. So your heart goes to one person, obviously can't cut that one in half. Um, Your lungs can possibly be separated and go to two separate people. Um, One man received both of his lungs. Um, Your kidneys can be separated, and actually one kidney went to, um, one of each of his kidneys went to two separate people. And then um, the final thing is your liver. And all five of those organs were um, successfully matched to someone. Um, and actually, in the matching, none of them have been rejected. So I can tell you five years later that all five of those people are doing extremely well. Um, God's very ironic in how he handles things often. Mike hated NASCAR, loved road racing. The guy that has his lungs bring his NASCAR fumes whenever he gets a chance because he loves watching NASCAR events. So... Um, We have contact with two of the different people. One of the guys that has um, his kidney um, is doing extremely well, lives in California. And then the man who has his lungs, his son is actually a pastor out here in Colorado. Um, And he tells incredible stories of raising his eight-year-old grandson. So that has been incredible. Um, Outside of that, we estimate that there were roughly 75 people, probably more than that, that received other portions of Mike's organ donation. Um, There were two small children that had pretty severe burns that received skin grafts that probably would not have survived otherwise. Um, Bone marrow for cancer patients, ligaments, muscle tissue, all of those different things that can be used for other people who are in need and unable to repair themselves. So pretty incredible. Um, At this time in my faith, I had handed my life over to Christ. Um, He was my savior. I was following him and teaching my students with everything that I could. Um, But there was also parts of my faith that I didn't totally understand. Um, Being raised the way that I was, the whole idea of laying hands on someone freaked me out. Um, Please don't do that because I don't know what you're calling on exactly. Um, But one of the ways that God worked on that in my heart is that while Mike's body was hooked up to respirators and and um, we were waiting for the final word on the different people that matched up for or- organ donation. Um, the, the nurse that was working with me came up to me and he said, Beth, we have a really big problem. You know, I know that Mike's body is super healthy, but because he's been on a ventilator for a while, one of his lungs is starting to fill with fluid. Um, and there's a possibility that we're not going to be able to use that lung. And I'm thinking, OK, the guy has never smoked a cigarette, never did any type of drug, didn't drink alcohol. Um, you know." didn't even smoke a cigar on the weekends with his friends maybe. There's no way that this lung cannot be used um, to help someone in need. And so um, everyone from our church that I could grab, my family, et cetera, we all kind of packed into this teeny little hospital room and laid hands on his body and just prayed that that lung would be healed. Now, um, granted, I'm working with a nursing staff who does not have a faith, um, can't an- uh, necessarily understand anything outside of the medical realm. And so. Two hours later, they took a final x-ray to determine if they could use that lung. And um, the guy, the nurse came back to me and he's shaking. He's like, I need to speak to you in the hall. And I'm going, great. I'm at the point of breaking here, dude. If you tell me one more bad thing, I don't know that I can handle it. So he we went out in the hall and he starts stammering and he said, the lung is healed. I don't understand. I can't explain what's going on. And um, it was such an incredible thing to me that the very first letter that we got back from an organ recipient was from the man who received both of his lungs. So. Um, my answer for miracles was obviously given that day. A um, couple other things. Um, when I very first got to the hospital, you know, I, all I could think was. You know, in order to get to heaven you have to believe in Christ, yes. But you know, the world steps in and then starts making me ask all these questions. Well, can we negate our salvation? Can we basically snub God and say, I don't I don't value your creation in me enough to negate our salvation? And so um, I was sitting in the hospital and I remember Dawson, my pastor, was walking in and I see him down the hall and If I remember correctly, I ran up to him and grabbed his lapels and kind of started shaking him. And I said, you have to tell me if you can basically negate your own salvation. And fortunately, he was intelligent enough to understand him asking, can suicide prevent you from making it to heaven? And fortunately, it absolutely cannot um, John 3:16, as we all, you know, traditionally see in football games, but explains it the best. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the moment that Dawson looked in my eyes and he told me that no, it's okay, um, he's in heaven. I had a huge burden lifted off of me. And so, you know, in moments where I found myself by myself alone in the hospital, Um, I just kept praying that, that there wasn't anything that would keep him from being in heaven because I knew that his life had been, um, although he fought against it, dedicated to Christ. And I just hoped that that would be the case. Um, God answers our worries in really incredible ways. And I know that at one point when I was in the hospital, I think I was sitting by myself in one of the conference rooms, um, either slipped into some type of a sleep or um, was given a vision, I don't know for sure. But I very clearly saw Mike sitting with his grandfather Um, who I had never met. Um, I knew he had headed up to heaven about five years previously, but um, I knew that they were sitting under a tree in heaven talking about cars, and that was one of Mike's biggest things. Um, Through the entirety of his life, he missed his grandfather and wished that he could continue to talk about his love with cars with him. So that was an incredible encouragement to me, Um, just seeing that vision and knowing that God had answered those prayers and that um, our salvation is guaranteed. Um, that also took me out of an area where I felt that I needed to earn my salvation a little bit. Um, you know, legalism can kind of get trapped inside of you and we wonder if we're ever good enough. Um, you are good enough. Even in our worst moments, um, you are good enough. So could you go to the next picture? One of the things that Mike always wondered about was, was his life making an impact on anyone else? He um, wanted to make it through college and become a counselor, therapist of some type, so that he could reach out to other people who struggled like he did with life. Um, he always constantly said, I'm not having an impact on anyone. You know, you teach all these kids and are raising people up, but I'm not doing anything. And um, it was really incredible that I think he was watching from heaven the funeral services, and there was 500 people at the funeral service in Reno, and um, about 400, 350 to 400 at the funeral service that we had out here in Colorado. So um, really incredible with that. Could you go to the next? Um, And then the other thing that has been amazing is that um, in sharing my story, I see that God can continue to use Mike's story to help others. Um, There were 15 different people that gave their life to Christ at our church within the first month and a half after his death. Um, That was really incredible to watch. I share my story um, at the schools that I teach at. supposed to share it again here in a little bit at Valor so it's always intimidating standing in front of 850 teenagers Um, but I think that truth is something that all of us need to hear and we're often very afraid to talk about it because um, we're afraid of what a story might like this might um, you know start to do to someone else if you're doubting or afraid um, people at this point, if you could go to the next slide, please, generally ask me, you know, how are you functioning the way that you are? In fact, um, I applied to work at Valor about three months after Mike passed away, and that was one of their biggest questions. Um, how are you okay in this moment? How can you talk about things? and? Um, how are you able to reach out to others and um, really even disciple them in the midst of what you're still trying to work through? And my answer is that there was a very key moment when I was sitting in the hospital by myself and, you know, I were given visions and I'm sure that being hungry and super tired at this point didn't help, but I remember very distinctly that as I was praying that God would just take over all of this for me because I knew in myself I couldn't handle it. Um, I was given a vision of kind of walking down the yellow check that, not Yellow Brick Road, the dark path of Wizard of Oz with the creepy trees and, you know, cawing birds and creepiness. Or I knew that on the other side of life, if I chose to just have hope and trust that God would not forsake me in anything that was going on, that I would be okay. Um, i We're moving, so all my stuff is packed up, but I have this sign that I found in a gas station and it says joy on it. And that is what I choose to wrap my entire life around. I have joy in the fact that Christ created me uniquely Um, exactly how i am and my life was fortunate enough to be tied to an incredible person for a period of time who made a very quick uh irrational decision to not continue on this earth but at the same time i also know that christ's salvation and his work on the cross has guaranteed that mike and i will get to see each other again um additionally i want to encourage you guys if you have ever um, experienced something that is very traumatic You know, we're told all the time that we need to pray. Um, I I almost say it like a prayer of 360 degrees. Um, The devil is really good at trying to get at us, and for a long time after Mike's death, um, I would get flashes of remembrances, things that I saw, um, smells, the different sounds that were going on around me, and it would happen at times where it was probably pretty dangerous, probably a little bit of post-traumatic stress. Um, I can recall a couple times where I'd be driving down the interstate in Reno and I'd get flashes of images and I would forget that I was driving. Fortunately, I never wrecked my car because of it. But I knew that I had to start praying in succession that each one of those tiny little cracks that Satan was trying to work himself into would be closed off to him forever. Um, It's not that I'm completely free from his attacks. Uh, They do happen upon occasion, but I know that that just means there's one tiny little place that I need to seal off. Um, if you have experienced trauma and you feel that there's different cracks in your life that you still need to seal, make sure that you're talking to people about that. I think Mike's biggest trouble in his life was that he felt that he was alone. Um, and we're not alone, although a relationship with Christ can kind of sometimes make us feel like we are alone. So be encouraged, um, be in community with each other, and know that um, no matter what the hand may be um, that you are dealt, God has a specific plan and purpose for you. And 10 years from now, those two cards that you thought that you may want to trade in could become your greatest blessing. So um, let me pray for us very quickly and then turn everything back over again. Lord, I thank you so much for our story. Um, As painful as they may be, I thank you for the cards that you've dealt each of us. And I just hope that um, in each of our lives, you would help us each to understand that each card has a purpose and a design in our lives. I thank you for friends and family, for people in fellowship with us here at this church, and I thank you for the opportunity for your truth to be spoken. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for your son, for his work on the cross, and that our salvation is guaranteed through him. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
4: Hey, here, Beth. And let's just thank Beth for sharing this we'll pray for beth here I'll, we're handing over the mic this is the handing over of the mic ceremony
3: you've got
4: to do a dance now though <laughs> um a couple years ago i had the privilege of marrying uh beth to brian <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah sorry okay so can get the mic right uh, and uh brian a lot of you know brian he's a great guy and let's just pray for uh brian and beth and Now, uh, these are your parents, right, Beth? Mm -hmm. Okay, and parents and all their family, all right? Lord, thank you so much uh, for Beth, and thank you uh, for Brian. Lord, thank you for your story in Beth's life. I thank you, Lord God, that you are showing her, that, Lord Jesus, you are showing her. You're doing what you uh, said you would do. You're sitting on a throne, and you say, behold, it means look, look, Beth. I'm making all things new. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The start of the story and the end of the story. So Lord God, I thank you that that is true. And Lord, I thank you for your story in Beth. We pray your covenant blessings over her. And uh, Lord, over us, in Jesus' name. the night that Jesus was betrayed he took bread and he broke it saying this is my body given to you take and eat and do it in remembrance of me and in the same way after supper having given thanks he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins drink of it all of you and do it in remembrance of me so how do you play the hand that you've been dealt because you've each been dealt a different hand right probably none of you have been dealt the exact same cards as Beth but you've been dealt a hand and you can get a book or you can go hear someone give you a list of rules about how to play your hand but your hand is entirely unique uh, to you and to your situation and so how do you play the hand that you've been dealt with this it's the same food for each one of us that uh, empowers our lives it's how we play the hand that we've been dealt we love because he first loved us and when we consume this food this bread this wine uh, we can rest assured that we have been dealt the very best possible hand that we could be dealt given to us by a father uh, who is love. Another uh, way of thinking about it is that Jesus said, I'm the word. The word means uh, reason. It can also be translated plot. This is the plot to your story. So when you come forward to communion, you're surrendering your story, your cards, your details, and you're receiving God's meaning because the evil one wants to speak a different meaning into all the events of your life. But God is speaking his meaning and he's saying, look, it it all means love. It all means that I am telling your story. So surrender to the story and live in love and live in joy, live in faith. And you see that faith really comes from him because Jesus is an organ donor, isn't he? I mean, we were created with a stone-cold heart, and he suffered and died for each one of us, and now he gives us his spirit, he gives us his heart, and he says, live from this place, live from this place. So as you come to the table, you're surrendering your life, and you're receiving his life. As you're involved in community groups, that's what we're doing for each other. We're surrendering our lives, confessing our lives to one another, and then someone in your group says, but Jesus loves you, Jesus forgives you, and they serve you this bread. And so this morning, we invite you to come forward um, and uh, take the life of Jesus and live the life of Jesus. But as you do that, um, worship. And before you do that, let's, let's say that. Let's pray that, okay? Would you pray this with me? You can just pray it after, after me. And why don't we just pray it out loud together as a family? Okay, you say these words after me. Lord God, in Jesus' name, I surrender my life and I receive your life all glory belongs to you Father Son and Holy Spirit amen so tear off a piece of the bread dip it in the cup dark cups are juice and the light cups no the dark cups are wine you know, you can just sample and figure it out, <laughs> but they're both the love of Jesus for you. Okay, I'm pretty sure the dark cups are juice and the light cups. No, the light cups are juice. <laughs> I know people, new people, think he's trying to get us drunk. Okay, the the yeah, the dark cups. No, the dark cups are juice. Just a second. Dark cups are wine. <laughs> the, The light cups are juice, okay? So you dip the bread in the cup and worship. Let's worship.